folk, noise, electronics, and improvisation. How can radical music help us manifest new possibilities for thinking and imagine new ways of organizing community through ritual behaviors, actions, and languages? Across two nights, Liquid Architecture and Melbourne Music Week present a program of electronic music genealogies, featuring artists whose work span the 1970s to today and represent multiple generations of Melbourne's experimental scene. Todd Anderson Knert is an artist working with sound to explore themes of psychological and emotional human existence. His work attempts to communicate emotions, experiences, and situations that words can often fail to describe. Ahead of his performance for Liquid Architecture and Melbourne Music Week, Todd discusses the freedom and creative limitations that monosynthesis allows, the possibilities for spatial and temporal emotional responses through live performance, and his documentary, A Conversational Exploration of Sonic Practice, that reveals the immense learning that emerges from community conversations. This is a podcast from Liquid Architecture. Support Liquid Architecture's podcast and publishing through a Patreon subscription. To support, head to patreon.com slash liquidarchitecture. and I'm an artist and sound is one of my main mediums. It's an interesting show. It's the first solo show I've played since kind of lockdowns began. So that's that's certainly influencing things. Um, in terms of live performance work, it's always different from my recorded works. I treat them as two very different um, areas with the exception of live recordings, of course. But um, Playing live for me is about acknowledging the the time and space components of performance, whereas in a recorded environment, I can do more than basically my my two hands can do at once. Like I like the sculptural form of of working with recordings, Um, but live's live's something different. interesting that you mentioned the word improvisation before because that's that's a term that I've been struggling with for a while and it's not um it's not that I have a problem with improvised music at all but I I find the term loaded it's a bit like using the term noise or something like that like it's got it's very loaded and has particular associations and I've been trying to figure out I guess like why what my relationship is to this um while I kind of classify myself as not being improvised. Um, and there is like, I guess in that a component of like compositional approaches in like, I have uh, a directive or um, an artistic intent is probably an easy way of putting it as to, to what I'm trying to establish in performance. Ultimately it comes down to some sort of temporal spatial relationship where it's like, okay, I'm in this room. I play a very simple, essentially instrument I'm sharing this space with these people and this is the way that the speakers are resonating this space. And so I'm here emotionally, they're here emotionally. And there is a, there is a feedback there. It's not 
improvised, but there is a, a type of listening or a type of awareness that comes from performance and from sharing this space because I, I feel like that's an important aspect of it. And so in acknowledging that time and that space, then I am responsive to it and I am responsive to that environment. And that's as, that's as close, I guess, to the parallel that I can draw, draw to improvise. But is that uh, maybe it is that question that I'm kind of extending upon for this performance exactly. It's like, okay, well... Uh, if I'm not considering myself improvised and there is this relationship and I'm further extending myself into this this sharing of space and sound and time with the audience, well, how can I further that relationship? And I guess as a, as a side question, well, yeah, what is my relationship to the, to the word improvisation if I, don't, if I don't consider myself to be an improvised musician? The serendipity is most certainly something that I'm exploring. It's like, you know, well, if we're talking the studio practice, for sure, well, how are these things combining? Again, it's a very simple question, but when you've got like kind of those those two sounds beating or pulsing or, or, or working against each other, um, I mean, a large part of my work is based around emotion. So it is also about like, well, what sort of feeling is that generating? So there is the sound for sure, but then there's the emotional response, you know, which I find really intriguing. With performance, it's a different. It's it's very different though, because of that relationship between speakers and space, and that being amplified. Like different rooms have have different characteristics, and, and sound very differently. And so, there's probably more, um, not surprises, but more like different resonances in terms of a live performance environment. So yeah, I'm I'm surprised by those sounds that, that are generated there. So yeah, I guess I guess not necessarily something that I'm looking for, but. The emotional response, for sure. That's that's more how I probably perceive that. You know that. Well, what what sound am I looking for? Or if I'm if I'm generating sounds that I don't know about, it's like, but but it's actually what's the feeling? That's that's the part that's that's constantly surprising me. Actually, a couple of years ago, I did a, this tour of Mona Gallery in Hobart. Stuart Ringholt was the artist who did Naturist Tours, where basically it's like a nudist tour of the gallery after hours. And that was like a really eye-opening experience for me because it's um, he was giving this introduction to his, his work. Um, and he was quite serious about the fact that you know, essentially when you take off your clothes and before you go in there, like, he's like, there's this apprehension, there's this nervousness um, and there's an awkwardness and it, and it lasts maybe like 15 seconds and then it's just like, okay, and we're all naked and we're going on this naturist tour. Um, excuse the, the abstract parallel that I'm drawing here. But when kind of dealing with my approach to performance, there was this element for me of being this really unconvincing one human band for a while. Like I'm trying to do more than my hands can achieve in a single period of time. And, and I found this really problematic. You know, I, I can't pay attention to this and I'm not, I'm not feeling present. This, well, I understand that's a technique and it's totally usable and, and totally valid for a lot of artists. It, it wasn't fulfilling this need for me for performance and it wasn't making me feel present. And so I was kind of reminded of this, you know, this tour that I did, um, Stuart Ringholtz piece. I'm like, okay, well, if I just, if I literally just play one instrument and I have like literally like a, a mono stream and it can only make one sound at a time, 
then I am completely naked on a stage. Like there, there is no backing track. There is, there is one sound and in that there is a complete decision between what is on and what is off. And if I'm making a sound or if I'm not making a sound and silence is a really big part of, of what I do and I was finding that silence was being lost in this idea of backing tracks. Um, and so, yeah, so I made this really conscious decision just to be sonically naked on stage. You know, it's like I, I just want a singular note and it's, it's hard. Like I do find it difficult and I have wrestled with it for the last, you know, few years of trying to develop it, but it's kind of freeing. It does feel awkward for the first couple of minutes because, you know, you've, I've, I've literally played performances where people are perplexed. Um, but they, they think it's like the, the intro track, you know, for the, the entire piece, you know, and they're waiting for, for something else to kick in. There's something about that simplicity of just having one note and one sound, I should say, or one frequency at a time and utilising that that feels like a, a great, um, an interesting pursuit for me. I play a, like a mono, a mono synth, so a monophonic synthesizer, and one pedal is what I'm down to now, which is essentially like a, a spring reverb and filter, and that's it. So that's been continually culled down and down and down until it's the um, until it's carry on size now. Basically, that was that was the ultimate goal. I was getting quite anxious about having too many power supplies and too many things, and having to having to rely on equipment. To be honest, like I'm mindful and really wary of equipment and what it visually means in a performance environment like if you've got all of these like super expensive tools and all of these flashing lights and things like that i'm not to say that's not valid but it does affect the performance space for sure and so i was becoming really mindful of that and what that meant for me as performer i was feeling quite anxious again about having multiple tools and things that could go wrong or being like heavily reliant on on things and it's like well if that pedal or if that effect or whatever goes down i'm, I'm stuffed you know I, I can't play so i'm like no no i just want really rudimentary tools that way the focus becomes upon playing and what i'm doing sonically rather than the technology and if anything goes down i'm sure i can find another monosynth or basic reverb pedal you know like that's kind of all i'm down to now um and that's and that's freeing as well it's like great i'm, I'm sure i can survive if something goes wrong in terms of that trilogy um conjectures was recorded as a part of my um, artist in residence at mess at melbourne electronic sound studios and so Granted, it was a, a, a massive instrument that I was using there. Like it was their, their Moog System 55, um, which is a, a beast of a monosynth. And I was really grateful for the opportunity to kind of explore that. But that's, that's kind of what got me thinking. And I, you know, I, I need to cite that because it was an amazing residency to explore these kind of ideas. And yeah, so it's kind of funny to kind of come out of there essentially with the, the ideology of a, of a really simple instrument of just a, a monosynth. To be honest, I've never really looked at a monosynth and been like amazingly inspired. You know, it's just like, well, like, you know, it doesn't really answer any questions. You know, it's, it's like, okay, well, it just makes one note at a time. And in that, I'm just like, yeah, and, and, that's, and that's the creative limitation and that's what I needed. It's like it's not going to answer any compositional approach. It doesn't have an amazing sequencer in it. It's not going to do 
multiple notes at a time, it's, it's not going to answer any question for you. Your brain has to do that. Your hands have to do that. There's no extra controls and it shifts that onus from, you know, technology being an answer to technology being a tool, you know, for me. It's like, great, this is an instrument. And it's about how I engage with it with my hands or, again, with that idea of layering. Um, and that's that simplicity kind of that, that for me reaches that, that wall of like, okay, creative limitation real fast. It's like, great, that's out of the way. Now what am I going to do with it creatively? And so, you know, in, in studio and performance, those, those two things um, really shine through. we look at like emotional response and this idea of like you know success or failure in terms of artistic practice for sure these are these are internal conversations that i have a lot in in terms of like the emotional response there's there's a feeling uh, like there's something about um like broadly speaking melancholy that, that kind of comes into my work you know there's ideas of beauty and there's ideas of sadness and there's ideas of slowness and there's ideas of contemplation for sure I don't make music to dance to. I think we can all agree on that part. You know, it's 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 slower moving at the moment for, for specifically what I'm doing. You know, so in in terms of that, um, I think in live performance, most certainly, there's a feeling, there's an emotional feeling that's generated that that means that that awkwardness that I was talking about before, that idea of that that nakedness, completely is obliterated. You know, and that's that's quite amazing when that happens. It's like, no, I'm I'm just here and I'm just present, and we're all present, and and this feels like it's it's kind of happening, and I'm creating a contemplative space overall that does channel into whatever the, the specific feelings are that I'm trying to achieve, you know, in terms of artistic intent. And that's not as simple as like going, okay, I want this to be melancholy or I want this to be sad. I'm I'm not necessarily trying to explicitly elicit an emotional response you know from the listener but there's a there's a beautiful murkiness i would say you know in terms of like well i'm kind of creating this this space centered over here in terms of the 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 broad emotional range and i'm i'm just going to create this bubble for us all to kind of dwell in for a while and and engage with in that Success or failure or, or audience engagement is is almost impossible for me to to, to decide. And I, I know from experience um, that, that a lot of people aren't up for the listening experience that I'm trying to create. And that's something I've had to kind of grapple with a bit. But it's like, yeah, I appreciate that though. I might be trying to create this 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 contemplative atmosphere in terms of like slowness for sure, but that's that's going to be really jarring for some people's bodies. And in a performance environment, some people are just not in a space to receive that and that's okay like I actually really respect that if it's just like no you know what this is this is too slow and I'm not psychologically in the mood to receive this I, I think I should go out and and do something else or I'll have a drink while this act finishes that's that's totally fine I can create the the environment that I'm trying to do based on the the space and the speakers that I'm going for and I can again generate that that relationship to the space in terms of sound that elicits 
that type of emotional bubble, if you will, that I'm that I'm trying to create for sure. And up until that point, we'll see what happens. At the time of making the documentary, I was, I was pursuing a PhD um, and writing a thesis. In this process of kind of making a thesis, there's this kind of question about like, well, what's the, what's the contribution that you're making to artistic practice or artistic thought? And I found this really problematic because all of the texts that I, that I like, um, you know, like Daphne Aram's book and things like that, that they're, they're not written like a thesis. They're, they're, they're written as, as something else, you know, and they're really amazing in terms of sharing artistic practice and learning. But it's really problematic if in terms of like this idea of a valuable contribution to, to artistic practice takes the form of a scientific thesis. So the question then came about like, well, okay, well, what is how then do you actually develop an artistic practice? Not in an academic context, but how, how do you progress as an artist? How do you continually progress? Because even if you choose to engage in some form of learning, that's finite at a, at a point, you finish and then you go on to do something else. So, and a lot of the most interesting artists I know are continually developing, you know, and they're continually asking questions. I'm like, okay, how, how does this work? Um, and at the time, you know, um, pre all the, the lockdown stuff, yeah, I was going to a lot of shows. Um, I was involved in a few spaces. And I'm like, actually, the, the, the learning is happening in these conversations in, in and around gigs. It's when you randomly chance with someone and you have this, like, amazingly, you know, thought-provoking conversation, you know, while your feet are sticking to the carpet and the tote or, or wherever you are, you know. And that's the thing that you kind of leave the gig with and you're just like, oh, you know, um, wow, like all of my years of you know, reading textbooks and stuff and I have the epiphany there. Um, I'm like, this, this conversation needs to be a shared one. If that's where the learning is happening in terms of like conversing with other people and having these experiences and literally just talking to peers about practice, well, then that's the train of thought that I want to follow and I want to see where that, that goes. That for me is an interesting question. The documentary didn't necessarily, the, the broad premise for it was to, um, was to focus on sonic practice. It, happened that the conversation seemed to steer more towards performance. And so I, I set myself the basic premise of, um, again, using that example of when you walk away from one of these conversations afterwards or your friend, whoever you're talking to, peer, artist you've just met, has to rush off to, to pack up something and you're left with that extra question afterwards where you're like, ah, oh, I wish I wish I had to ask them that. And that's really unfortunate because I couldn't finish the conversation. That then was the, the directive for the film, so that I would, I would talk to an artist, I would uh, interview them for half an hour, and I would start with the question, and then I would edit it down to like three or four minutes and find the place where I wish I had asked another question but didn't get a chance to, and then I would continue the conversation with the next artist. And that also entailed me to ask really specific questions to people that I wouldn't usually do, which, which proved for amazing conversations.
couple of things. I'm working on a new album at the moment, um, but it's exploring some some different themes and it's it's coming along well. Um, it, I've been thinking a lot about heartbeats in re- in regards to that recording. You know, um, heartbeats and, and to be blunt, romance. Um, you know, those those types of themes and intimacy. Um, they're all they're all coming into it and being channeled really well at the moment. So that's that's taking shape. The other thing I've got is a, a photo book um, that I've finished. I used to engage with photography as a medium until I found it conceptually problematic in a lot of ways. But during the process of lockdown, I actually went through a divorce and then decided to document it photographically for a year afterwards. And so I set myself the task of like, actually, no, this is um, this is something that I that I just needed to do. And so I documented, yeah, 12 months photographically, um, just on a 35mm kind of point-and-click camera. Um, so I've edited that into a, into a book and kind of made a soundtrack for that. Um, and so looking to give that a physical release. So I'm quite curious to see that take shape. This recording was produced by Mara Schreitfeger for Liquid Architecture on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of this land and recognise that sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Liquid Architecture is an Australian organisation for artists working with sound and listening. To support our podcast and publishing, head to patreon.com slash liquidarchitecture.